Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and we're in day three of the Learning 2.0 virtual conference. It has been just a blast, and we're so delighted to have Esther Wojcicki here with us. She's being helped by Cable Green from Creative Commons, our old and good friend, who's stepping in because Esther has a hoarse throat and isn't sure she's going to make it through. But I'm going to shortly turn it over to them, and um, you, you will be pleased by both, I'm quite certain. Thanks to our conference sponsors this year, uh, Follett and Intel, and thanks to support from Mighty Bell, Blackboard Collaborate, taking it global, EdWeb, and Edutopia. Cable, did you want to introduce Esther? Yes, thanks, Steve. I'll be happy to. Uh, it's my distinct honor to introduce Esther Wojcicki. Just a few quick notes uh, about her. Um, I won't read her whole bio. That's that's in the session. Uh, but many of you know Esther. She is uh, famous around the world. Uh, she is a high school teacher at Palo Alto High School in California, where she's built a journalism program uh, since 1985. It's the largest high school journalism program in the United States. Has won many, many awards uh, for the great work that they've done. Uh, and as Esther is going to talk about today, uh, the, the core of their activities are really based around the theory of problem-based learning, uh, where students are getting engaged in their learning and, and the critical thinking skills that they learn in the classroom. And Esther will talk about why that's so important, not just in journalism, uh, but in every field, in every 21st century job uh, that students will have when they graduate from our educational institutions. And uh, with that, let me go ahead and uh, hop off. I'm here uh, only as backup uh, to Esther, and hopefully her voice will make it through. She's got a nasty case of laryngitis, and so we thank her for powering through and coming to today's session. Esther, if you'll just click on the talk button in the upper left, it's all yours. Um, well, thank you, Cable, very much for this great introduction, and thank you, Steve, for this opportunity. And yes, I caught the you know first cold of the year. Not quite sure which student it was that sneezed on me, but uh, here I am. Um, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, the 21st century skills that I think uh, students can learn through studying journalism. So people often think that I'm trying to develop or to produce all these journalists, you know. So and they ask these questions, you know. My God, where are they going to get jobs? How do you, what was 600 kids in the program? You know, there's not 600 jobs out there. I'm not actually trying to produce journalists. I am trying to produce people who think. And I'm using journalism as a tool because that, that training teaches you to think. And so I'll just click to the next slide. So what are 21st century skills that we're all trying to do? These are all, they're, they're very important, and this is what all the job, all the employees, employers want. This is what everybody wants from all the students when they graduate from high school or even college. So I'll just go through them briefly. The ability to communicate. I mean, that's number one. I don't care whether you're a doctor, a businessman, you know, whether you have your own gardening business, no matter what it is, you should be able to communicate. Um, to adapt easily to change. That's actually very important for everybody in life. To work in teams. Uh, just think about your typical classroom. People do not work in teams. 
they work individually. They've got an assignment, they do their assignment, they turn their assignment into the teacher, and then the, there isn't a lot of teamwork. Sometimes there's a little bit of teamwork or group work, but in general there's not very much. Problem solve. So you could say, well, they do problem solving on their worksheets and things like that. I want them to problem solve in the real world. I want them to problem solve all the time. I mean, that's how you learn. It's not, it's not learning by, like, watching somebody else tell you about problem solving. Then uh, to analyze and conceptualize. And this is, a, again, a very important skill for all kids, for all people, to reflect on and improve your performance. A lot of kids don't reflect on their performance. They just, oh, I got a D, that's it, whatever. You know, you need to try to figure out, like, what was it that created the problem? Is there some way that we can, you know, fix it, make it better? To manage yourself. So I believe really strongly in kids managing themselves. So I'm not a micromanager. Kids come in class, and I don't have a whole classroom full of rules. I basically make the statement, we all have to get together, we all have to work together. This is a class where we're all together, all, I don't know, 30 of us or whatever. And I try to help them develop these skills. Uh, this, uh, to create, innovate, and criticize, to be able to criticize other people without them getting upset. You set up an atmosphere in the classroom where you critique is a basic, uh, it's just understood for everybody that, uh, that uh, you are part of a group and you are working together in this critique. It's not of you personally. It's like we're working on the project together, trying to help everybody be the best they can be and to help the whole project be the best. Uh, to learn new things all the time and to cross specialist borders so that you don't necessarily, you don't become a specialist. So I have kids writing sports, they write news, they write features, they write all these different things. And uh, so you, people might say, well, this is great for a journalism class. Well, well, I teach English or I teach social studies or I teach something else. I can't pick that in. Turns out that these skills can be taught and used in pretty much any class. And I'm going to show you, show you how and why. And these are the skills, this list right here, this is exactly what is coming out of the U.S. Uh, stand, Common Core Standards and out of the PISA exam. This is exactly these 21st century skills are the ones that everybody is trying to teach students worldwide. So here's the demand for skills and how it's changed. This is what, back in 1900, <coughs> everybody wanted low-skilled job workers, right? You had to follow instructions. That was the key. If you didn't follow instructions, you weren't a good worker. Now, if you take a look at 2000, you'll see nobody wants those low-skilled worker people who follow instructions and don't think all the time. They want people that actually think, knowledge work jobs. And so um, it's actually, this one is from 2000, but if I had one more uh, part of the graph, you would see that it would be even higher than what it is in 2000. It would be up above the 80% uh, area. Everybody wants workers that have knowledge works, uh, skills. Okay, next one is, so how can journalism help teach these skills? Take a look. So just look at what journalism teaches how to search for information, 
just think of what a journalist does. They search for information. They know how to use the Internet. They know how to interview, how to organize information, and how to distinguish facts from opinion. Wouldn't you want all kids to know these things? So how to write so someone wants to read it. You know, most students write those five-paragraph essays. Have you ever seen a five-paragraph essay in a magazine or a newspaper? No one wants to read those five-paragraph essays except the poor teacher who's being paid to read those. You want kids to be able to write in a variety of different formats that are actually engaging. And so that, you know, when they graduate, they can feel comfortable writing memos or, I don't know, commenting on things, whatever they need to do in the world. How to be logical, how to collaborate. This is all part of journalism. How to use digital tools, how to work with your peers, and how to think and analyze. And I put kids together who don't like each other. I was like, if you go home and ask your parents uh, if they love the people they work with, and if they just want to be with them all the time, then you too can have the same uh, thing. That uh, most people can't. Most um, most people don't really like the parent, the people that they're working with. And so I said, you know, you just have to learn how to get along. You learn how to get along together. And so you too need to do it. Anyway, it works. The kids all eventually become friends. So journalism also teaches what is copyright and how to respect it. What is creative commons and how to find what is open and shareable. You know, we have a lot of kids that are just taking stuff. They don't really understand copyright. So this is something that is really important in journalism. You don't want to copy somebody else's stuff. And, I mean, there's just been a plagiarism scandal, you know, by some uh, very well-known journalists. And it was by accident. But still, kids don't do a lot of stuff by accident. They just copy and paste. So we need to explain to them what is copyright and how it works. So... Uh, uh, this is it's, anyway. This is what we do. So right now, actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Creative Commons, and maybe Cable can jump in right here and talk about Creative Commons. I'm, Cable, I'd be happy there? to. Thanks, Esther. We'll give Esther a chance to rest her voice and and uh, have a few sips of honey tea. I hope she has it in front of her. So I. Uh, you have to go back about 10 years and think about what was happening on the Internet. So think about that moment in time when you all had your first functional browser and you sort of had this eureka moment that the Internet was here and that we were connected and networked in a way that humanity had never been connected before. And a bunch of people, educators, journalists, uh, artists, and others started to ask the question, if, I, if it's easy, technically easy to share on the Internet, um, how do I share with as many people as I possibly can? And what quickly became, um, uh, what everybody realized was that it was not easily to legally share with everybody that you wanted to. So let's take, uh, let's take one of Esther's uh, lesson plans, for example. Let's say that she, Esther says, look, I'm an educator. My intent is to help as many people learn these skills around the world as possible. And I want to share this freely with everybody. Uh, what, what Esther knows, but not everybody knew, was that her works were copyrighted. The moment she created them, they were copyrighted under U.S. copyright law. And this is true around almost every country in the world. The moment you produce something, it's under copyright. But remember, Esther's intent was not to make money on this thing. Her intent was not to keep it to herself. Her intent is to share it 
with all other educators in the world so that they too can use these, these skills that she's been talking about to help teach others. And so uh, 10 years before Creative Commons, there was really no easy way to put a license, an open copyright license, on your copyrighted work. So it doesn't get rid of your copyright. What it does is it, it, is, it adds to your copyright. Think of it as an addendum to your copyright. So what you're saying when you put a Creative Commons license on, let's say Esther put it on her lesson plans, is that you're extending some freedoms under some conditions to everybody else in the world. So let me, if you look at this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this diagram that Esther has here, what it shows is kind of this continuum or this spectrum of copyright, which we call all rights reserved, all the way over here to public domain, which is no rights, right? You've given up all your copyright and it's in the public domain. And in between here, we've got Creative Commons. So what Creative Commons allows you to do is to keep your copyright, but still share freely and openly with everyone else in the world under the conditions that you choose. So let's go forward. We'll talk real briefly about those, those conditions. So with, with CC licenses or Creative Commons licenses, you have uh, really there's, there's uh, four choices of conditions. The first one is called attribution. And this one is actually not a choice. Uh, all of the licenses require uh, that if you use Esther's lesson plan, you must give her credit in the way that she's specified. And we, this makes sense to us in, in teaching and learning, right? When we use someone else's work, we should give them credit. We cite them. This is what, this is what we do. This is what we teach journalism students. This is what we teach all students. You give proper attribution. So, so this is a, a requirement of every Creative Commons license. The next three here are options that you, the copyright holder, you, the author, get to decide. So the first one here is called share alike. And share alike means if you take Esther's lesson plan and you modify it somehow, what you, and that's fine to do. However, the, the new version, the new derivative work that you've created, the new lesson plan, you must share that with the world under the same license that Esther used. We'll talk about what some of the licenses are. This, for example, is, is what Wikipedia does. So Wikipedia uses an attribution, share-alike license. And what Wikipedia is saying is if you go into Wikipedia and make changes to their articles, by law, you are required to share your changes forward. And if you don't like those terms, that's okay, but you don't get to edit a Wikipedia article. And you also can't take from a Wikipedia article and use it in a different resource. You have to agree to share alike. The next one here is called non-commercial. And this one very simply says, you may use my work for free, but you may not sell it. You may not commercially profit from it. So that's, that's, that's fairly clear. The last one here is called no derivatives. That means you may use my, my work, my lesson plan for free, uh, but you may not change it. Right? So you cannot modify it, you can't change it in any way, shape, or form. Generally speaking, in education, we tend to stick with the Creative Commons Attribution License, this first one here, or an Attribution Share Alike License. Um, those, are, those are commonly held up as kind of best practices in education. Uh, Non-commercial gets tricky because there are... Um, there are some uh, for-profit uh, entities out there that still teach. There are 
there are groups in uh, in rural areas, uh, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where the only educational option uh, is defined as commercial. And so this one's a little bit fuzzy, and there's arguments over exactly what commercial use is and not. Uh, and then this last one we really stay away from in education because if you think about what teachers do, teachers are always taking a little bit from here and a little bit from there, and they're modifying, they're remixing, they're coming up with, uh, with the appropriate mix of materials for their learning environment, for their class, for that day. And if we put this restriction on not allowing them to make changes, then you're really, you're really binding them and you're not allowing them to use their creativity uh, to meet their local needs. But nevertheless, there are four conditions and what they yield are these six different licenses. And so again, the first one is just called attribution or it, sometimes you'll hear it called CC BY, uh, so for the Creative Commons attribution. The next one, as you can imagine, they just go down the list. So this one's called attribution share alike because you've got to give credit, and if you change it, you've got to share it changes forward. Then you've got a, kind of a remix of all the license conditions. So there's attribution, no derivatives. You can use it for free. You've got to give credit, but you can't change it, and then on down the list here. Different communities out there in uh, different communities in culture, different communities in government, in data, in journal articles, in, um, in education, they, uh, they use different licenses for different reasons. And in fact, there are businesses out there that use Creative Commons licenses as part of their business uh, and quite successfully. And if you're interested in any of these details, you can find all this on the Creative Commons website, which I put in the chat window a little bit before. Uh, this is a, uh, an exciting uh, resource that you may like. If you go to the website, it's uh, whyopeneducationmatters.org, and I'll put the link in in just a minute. Uh, this is a competition that Creative Commons and the U.S. Department of Education and the Open Society Foundations recently ran. Ah, thank you for putting the link in. And the competition was very simple. Uh, everybody in the world, please make a video about why you think Open Education Matters, and then uh, post it under a Creative Commons attribution license, and we'll have a panel of celebrity judges, and we've got prize money. And at first, we were real worried because there weren't very many uh, submissions coming in, but of course, they all flooded in in the last three days of the competition, and there are uh, just wonderful videos up there, some of them uh, created by, uh, by uh, elementary school students, there's, uh, there's some high school students rapping about why open education matters. It's just fabulous. Uh, and the winners are posted on that website. And of course, all of these videos are openly licensed. Uh, maybe just pause for one second on this idea of open education. Uh, for something to be an open educational resource, it must have two components. The first component is it must be free, meaning it must be available at no cost. It must be gratis. You, the teacher, must be able to download that thing from the internet or get a physical copy of it at no cost. So that's number one. Number two is it must either be in the public domain or it must have an open license on it that allows you to revise it, remix it, reuse, and redistribute it. So you've got to be able to use it in the way legally that you want to use it in your classroom. If you can't do those two things, it's not an open educational resource. 
And then, of course, there are many examples of open educational resources. One of the most famous is MIT. Uh, about 10 years ago, the Hewlett Foundation provided some funding to MIT OpenCourseWare. And believe it or not, MIT opened up its doors and said, here are all of our courses. They are online, uh, including the assessments and exams. And anybody in the world can download them and use them as you see fit. Right? And there are hundreds of universities around the world who have followed MIT's lead. Uh, culture is another uh, huge area. So, uh, so if you go to Flickr, for example, just go to Google and type in Flickr and Creative Commons. And what you'll find is that there are millions, literally, that is four or five million, I believe, photos on Flickr that are openly licensed so that you can go and you can take those images legally and use them in your PowerPoints and, uh, and in other uh, classroom situations. And it's not just, uh, it's not just uh, images, but movies. It's, uh, it's art galleries. Uh, there's a whole, uh, whole movement going on of, of uh, artists and galleries that are openly licensing their works for a variety of reasons. Some for commercial reasons, because when they share, they find that they can, in fact, make more money with their business. And some because they just want to share. They're in the business of, of uh, improving humanity, and this is the best way that they know how. Many of you are probably familiar with the Khan Academy. This is another great example of uh, modular videos on very specific topics, uh, not more than about seven or eight minutes. And the Khan Academy also uses Creative Commons licenses uh, on all of their videos so that you have the legal rights to not only use it for free, uh, but to modify them. At this point, let me hop off and turn it back over to Esther. Thank you, Cable. Thank you. That was very helpful. Got to take a little rest here. So if you just think about, again, the journalism curriculum and just what you saw, journalism also teaches video. I mean, video is really journalism today. All the kids want to be on YouTube. As a matter of fact, the only thing that I usually have to ban in my classroom, because uh, pretty much I run an open classroom, is YouTube. Because if I get them on YouTube, I don't have their attention anymore. That's all they want to do. But what I try to do is teach them how to make videos that then they can upload to YouTube and promote on their own, uh, in their own way. So uh, I am, I am uh, spending a lot of time here, like how to get your main ideas across using media. So like use, just imagine the thinking skills that go into trying to create a video where you're getting the most important ideas across first. That is really thinking. Most kids don't actually think. They just regurgitate the information that they learn. And what I'm trying to get them to do is figure out what is the most important thing, and then how do you present it? And so I also am using social media tools to gather information. So I, this year, my students uh, have all their publications I'm self-supporting. And every time somebody buys an advertisement, what they get is free either tweeting or Facebook posts or Google Plus posts or Pinterest, Pinterest posts. So they get to pick. So the advertiser thinks this is absolutely great. But what is really good for me is my students are learning how to use social media firsthand in a real way. And then they interact with the business person and they see how it impacts their business. So, I mean, I might be, you know, helping them a lot, which is good, 
but I also would like my students to learn all this stuff. So these are the ones how to use Twitter, Google Plus, Facebook, and Pinterest and advertising. Uh, so right now, if you just think about it, there's four million CC licensed videos on YouTube. That's a lot. And uh, so your students can contribute some more on those. Uh, actually, it'd be great if you could, uh, especially people in the United States, could stay tuned because we're going to be launching something called Engage 2012, which is going as kind of a competition that is going to enable students to interview people around the country about their what they think about the issues in the presidential election and then submit those videos to a website on YouTube and then the kids that have the best videos are going to win prizes. So uh, the website we're going to launch in September, otherwise I would have something about it right now, but just stay tuned and you will see. The idea is to get kids again to use their thinking skills and to use their uh, their social media to create things that are actually helping everyone understand the world in a better way. So by the way, journalism ties to the common core standards of the United States. Here's an example. This is just one standard. It ties to many standards. Uh, you want to write informative, explanatory text to examine and convey complex ideas, concepts, and information clearly and accurately through the effective selection, organization, and analysis of content. That's what you do when you write a story, exactly that. So you have to figure out, you have to effectively select the information that you get, organize it, and present it in a way that people want to read it. And uh, so the main things that I teach, and I'm going to go do it again, is I teach the, there's four basic journalistic styles of writing. One of them is features. And I start off the year with a personality feature. Actually, my students are doing this today uh, while I'm not there in school, actually. Uh, they've already done the interview. They interview each other in class and then write, about a, write a personality feature about each other. So this personality feature that I give them as a model is something that I've pulled from the professional press. So I don't want them to write something like, you know, uh, John was born at Stanford Hospital on whatever date. I want them to write something that is actually engaging, that has a focus. I don't want just a routine sort of chronological account, when you were born, what you did when you were little, what you did when you were a little older, what you did when you were even older. That does not show any selection, no thought process. I want them to think about what's the most interesting thing about that person and how can you frame it in a personality feature so that somebody might actually want to read it. It's a great way to get kids to know each other. And so they write these personality features. Today they're sitting, uh, they're doing it on computers, on Google Docs, and they're sitting next to the person they interviewed in case they don't have enough information they can ask them. And then they share it with me. So here I am at home, but I can still see it because it's all on Google Docs. They have to share everything that they're doing. And, uh, and then <coughs> they'll revise it. And after they revise it multiple times, actually usually about two or three times, then we're going to publish them all 
in a little booklet that we then just hand out in class. So then they all get to know each other and they read each other's information. It's a great way to get to know kids, a way, great way for them to get to know each other. And the hidden agenda is, you know, can you write? Or can you try, can you take this information, synthesize it, organize it, and write it up in a way that somebody's going to want to read it? So this is, this is one assignment that I do. So here's an example of a personality feature by a freshman that a freshman wrote this a couple years ago, and he just started this. As dust settles over Taipei, Taiwan, a young man with a camera walks on narrow streets filled with conversation and laughter of local and tourists alike. Breathing in the scent of Taiwanese noodles and spicy tofu, sophomore Chris Brown feels perfectly at home as long as he has his camera. I'm always taking pictures of everything, Chris said. I don't just think I could change that because there's just too much to see. So this whole feature on Chris is about how he loves photography. And it's, nowhere in there is like a mention of his brother and his sister and his dog and his cat or whatever because it does not relate to the focus of the feature. The thing is about Chris as a photographer. And um, so this is, this is just an example of a personality feature that kids can do. Reviews are another great way to get kids excited about writing. So movie reviews, website reviews, gaming reviews, restaurant reviews, product reviews. So this is actually, this is something I'm doing in an English class. You could do it in a social studies class. You know, it just depends on, uh, you know, the situation. But here's an example of a review. They did a movie review about Jane Eyre. And this is just, uh, you know, a review that was written about a movie. It's not a movie report. So, and I know many people do this, so the, a movie report is like, tell me what you saw in that movie, verbatim. Uh, uh, I don't want that. I want an evaluation of the movie and why, based on, and they have to support it. So opinion pieces are another thing that I have to write, opinion pieces, columns, editorials. Um, and the reason that we do that is, I'm sure if you work with students, no matter where they are in the world, you find that they're really opinionated. <laughs> they think they know everything. And uh, maybe they do, but, you know, that's great for teaching them to write. They're excited if they get to pick their own topic. That's actually the key. You know, if they get to write about what they want to write about, they're going to do a really great job. If you assign the topic, then, of course, it's harder. Uh, so students can write about local issues, state issues, national issues, or even international issues. Um, and it turns out, like, if they're really opinionated, enjoy this writing style. They love to write opinion pieces. So I had them write an opinion piece last year. We have an open campus on the school where students can walk out and go to the local shopping center. And they wrote an opinion piece on what would happen if the school decided to have a closed campus. So you could not leave the campus at lunch. I'll tell you, they wrote really long, well-organized opinion pieces on keeping the campus open. They just, they loved it. So here's an example of student opinion writing. Summer, not for academics. Doesn't that sound like a student? Like it's, they don't want to work. Not at all. They just want to stay at home. But still, this is an opinion piece. Uh, then it came out pretty well. 
So news writing, I have them, again, finding out, like, what's going on in the school. Picking what's the most important thing is hard for kids. It's a great way for them to learn to differentiate. Um, and I, in terms of news, I actually do something that's kind of easy. I invite other teachers into the class, and I have the students interview them about anything. And then they have to write it up as news. The teachers like it, and uh, the students like it. And I like it, and it's fun for the kids. So here's an example of a news story that they wrote. This girl that used to be part of the class in 2008, uh, she has a, been a, given an ESPY award, which is a pretty important award. So anyway, this is just an example of a news story that they wrote. So here is Palo Alto High School. We actually have more than 550 kids now electing to take journalism. And this is an elective, so they don't have to take it. It's a writing elective. So the question is, like, why do they want to take this class? Well, it's primarily because they're really interested in expressing their own opinion, being taught all these digital tools, and having all this independence. So if you just think about it, teenagers everywhere, their number one goal in life is to be independent and recognized for being independent. Um, <coughs> So if you give them these opportunities and you teach them to think and have, give them all these goals, these um, tools, they will do it. This is an example of a newspaper that is published uh, every couple of weeks. This is called the Campanile. And I don't do a single thing on this. They do everything. Uh, I do teach the skills. I teach them, you know, how to do layout design, how to write, you know, how to use the design, how to use Photoshop. But after that, they do everything. They come up with the own, their own design. They come up with their own story ideas. They come up with everything, which ties into that incredible drive for independence that, that teenagers exhibit. So here's another uh, example of the student newspaper. So now I know that this, you can't do this in a typical class. And what I'm doing this year in ninth grade is I'm working with just regular ninth grade classes. They're not going to be producing newspapers like this, but they can produce a blog together. They can produce a website on, like, for example, uh, Google Sites has websites. You know, there's a lot of website designs that are really simple for kids to do. This is another example of what they've done. This is just another section. Of course, you know, you can see that that story idea is not something that I would come up with. I'm not a picky eater. But you as can imagine, you know, most kids are picky eaters. And, uh, you know, if their food is not segregated on their plate, they won't touch it. So this, of course, is their story idea. This is another example. This is a back page of the same publication. So here are the other publications that we have. We have uh, uh, actually now five additional publications in addition to the Campanile, the newspaper. So we have Verde. And as you can see, that this topic is something that they came up with. Uh, another word, Animal House. Embracing Race. Hazing. We did this, art, this story won first place in the country. For, it was an investigative piece on hazing in the school. And it was a great story. It took a lot of research, a lot of work. But it stopped all the hazing, which had been going on for like more than 20 years. Uh, 
Here we go with another one. This is the the opinion piece. True life. I'm gay. Unconventional piercing. Uh, as you can see, uh, all these are story ideas that they come up with themselves. Uh, this is a photo competition that we had. Kids from around the school submit photos and then we publish them. So that could be related to a photography class. This is, we now have a, a sports magazine. This is something that could be done anywhere. Uh, you know, all, this magazine all causes changes on sports. All these kids are students at the school. These are all stories about the students. We make them all look like heroes. This is an 80-page magazine about all the different sports and all the students in the sports. So what are they learning? They're learning how to write while they're covering something that they're really interested in. And, you know, if your school and your students don't, are interested in sports, maybe they can have a food magazine or maybe whatever. You know, they can have, or it doesn't even have to be a magazine. It can be a website. So this this costs money, uh, and it's all self-supported by advertising. As I mentioned earlier, they all have to get ads, and they learn a lot by having to get an ad. It's the real world. So this Viking also has a website so that you can get the scores up really, really quickly. Uh, this is our, our uh, website for, that is actually composite of all the all the publications. It's called Voice. It, it is updated several times a day. And here at the top you can see the publications listed. Campanelli, Viking, Verde, In Focus. In Focus is the broadcast journalism program. Madrona is the yearbook. And so now we also have a, a magazine just started this year, or last spring, sorry, was it's a foreign affairs magazine. And again, they started it themselves with my assistance. I, to do too much. And we're also starting one more this year. Again, they want to do it. It's kind of like a Rolling Stone magazine for kids. So we have a new website for teachers in grades K-12 on deeper learning with journalism. Here it is. It's called Journalistic Learning. And this is a, a professor that I worked with at the University of Oregon. And uh, he just got his PhD in June. And he's a great guy, and he wrote, he did a thesis on journalism in the classroom, here it is, and this is Ed Madison, uh, who teaches at the, the University of Oregon, and this is his website, and it's got so much information on it, it has videos, it shows you how to do all the different things, uh, I'm part of this website, I helped a little bit with this, and uh, and so I recommend this website. As I said back there, that's the website address right here, journalisticlearning.org. And uh, if you just go to journalistic learning, I think you probably just get it. And uh, there's a video of me. And uh, it doesn't play here, I'm sorry to say. This is just a screenshot. <coughs> but uh, talking about journalism and what, what is going on. But it's not just me. There's other teachers in the program. So it's not just me doing this. It's like all these other teachers in the program find that this is absolutely the way to engage students. It is so incredible to, you, you don't have to fight with kids to learn. They want to learn. It's just amazing. Actually, my number one problem 
is getting them to leave. I just said, like, it's time to go home. They don't want to go home. So, um, you know, if you could just get a little bit of this into your program, I am sure that, you know, you'd probably find a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the same engagement. So here is his thesis. As part of the website, you can download his thesis. What he shows is actually very interesting. He shows that kids that study journalism score at a much higher level than kids who just take English classes. And it's part of the study. So, uh, you know, this just came out in June. Hopefully it's going to have an impact. And as I said, I'm trying to include journalistic writing in a straight English class. So this year I'm teaching regular English, all ninth grade English, and then I teach the regular books that everybody teaches of Life and Man and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front and Romeo and Juliet. But then I intersperse all these different writing styles so that kids are not just doing five paragraph essays, they're doing other things that are more engaging. So while they have to do a five paragraph essay, and I tell them, you know, you need to do it because the SAT and all these other groups need to have, see that you know how, they're doing other things that are really engaging for them. So they're better able to, you know, tolerate some of the stuff they don't like to do as well. So uh, if you have any questions, I would be delighted to answer any questions. That This is my email address, estuarycreativecommons.org. And uh, I would be happy to help anybody that would like to, uh, to do more of this type of writing uh, and getting kids to think in this kind of way. Uh, if you just, you know, email me. Check the website. Um, I, have a, I have another website also. It's called 21stCenturyLit.org. That is, I'll write it down here, so 21stCenturyLit.org. It has, also has a lot of information. Uh, so I'm clapping so, uh, for Esther right now. It's hard to find the clapping button, but it's the smiley face and down to applause. If you click on the hand, we'll think you want to ask a question, which you're welcome to do. But my applause is for Esther and for Cable, especially for Esther coming on in obviously less than uh, fully healthy circumstances. Most appreciated. Well, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry I'm a little under the weather here. But thank you to Cable for helping. It was terrific. Uh, and thank you to Steve, too. But uh, if you have any questions, uh, like I said, email me or, you know, I'd be happy to, uh, to answer any questions now if anybody has any questions. So you can put a question in the chat if you'd like, or you can raise your hand. That's the third icon over in the participants. Window and we'll give you the microphone. John oh, wants to know right to now. which from writing. Perfect. <coughs> well, could you read that question to me one sure. more time? To bridge from writing to video, have you had students write news scripts? Yes, I do have. I've had them write news scripts. I also have them do. You know, um, they do scripting. So when they're making video. 
uh, I think it's an important thing for them to think about how they are going to actually make the video in advance before just running out there with the camera and just trying to take anything random. So yes, I do have them do new scripts, and uh, it's a good idea. You know, you just get you can just create those little boxes and put it, you know, eight six or eight little boxes on an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, and then have them go through and write what they would be doing in each of the frames. It works pretty well. Are there any prerequisites? There you go. And there was actually no, one before there's no that. Um, go ahead. Uh, what I'm just going to say, you can give me the one just before that after I answer this one. There is no prerequisites. I take kids who have flunked in other classes. I take kids who have, you know, I guess the main prerequisite, you have to be able to read and you have to be able to write a little bit but uh, a little bit, maybe fifth grade level. But uh, for the most part, you know, what happens is that kids get so engaged by whatever it is they're writing about that their writing just dramatically improves. You know, it just, like I have one of my students now, this year he's a senior. I had him as a freshman. This is a kid that could not write a complete sentence. And now he's writing long columns on fantasy football. This is his favorite thing. I never even heard of fantasy football. But um, and he's, his writing is just off the charts. So I think if you get them to write about something that is important to them, they will learn pretty well. And what was the previous question? The previous question was, do you teach the complexity of copyright to your students too? Yes, I do teach. I want to make sure they understand copyright. That's why it's all part of the whole journalism thing. Because no plagiarism. They've got to understand it. And then the other question is, how do you want your work to travel? Do you want lots of people to be able to read it? Do you want lots of people to be able to share it? If that's the case, you have to put a Creative Commons attribution license on it. If it's just locked up in copyright, it's just going to stay on our website. It's not going to go anywhere. So. You know, interestingly enough, they all want to share. They all see the value in sharing, and so they all uh, put Creative Commons licenses on their work. So in order for me to explain Creative Commons, they have to understand copyright. And that's it's so important for kids worldwide. All kids should understand copyright. They should understand it and respect it. There's so much out there in the free and open pot that they don't have to just take stuff that's copyrighted. Most kids don't even know about, you know, the free stuff, so that's the problem. Rhonda wants to know if there's a peer <laughs> review for the student's scripts or articles, and is there a selection process that involves students, or does everything just get posted or published? Ah, there's a huge peer review. Forgot to mention that. Thank you for that question. Yes, they edit each other's stuff. So like on the newspaper that you saw there, I have editors, I have section editors. Every single article that they publish is re peer reviewed four times. So they all peer review each other. The whole idea is for them to get to understand that writing is a process and that nobody writes the perfect article the first time. And so, yeah, it's built into the whole system. And so uh, the reporters, they collaborate with each other. 
then they work with the section editors, and they work with the editors in chief. I mean, I basically feel like I'm the conductor of a big orchestra. All I'm doing is making sure that they are all working together effectively. I do not correct any of this stuff, except, you know, I look over things to make sure that there's no issues. I make suggestions here and there, but for the most part, they learn so much from, you know, each other, from just from the beginning class, and then just being interested. They, it helps them to become more, uh, to better writers, because they're interested in being the best. I think. I think I've gotten all the questions. If you have a question that hasn't been asked and you put it in the chat, I apologize, but feel free to post it again. Or feel free to raise your hand, which is the third icon over in the participant window, and we'll give you the microphone. Well, there's somebody here who said getting rid of correcting papers. If you have a peer review, they, then you don't correct papers to that degree. Let them do it, and by the time it gets to you, it's going to be much better. Uh, and I know that some people think that this isn't the case. Just you need to keep trying it. Uh, it's easy to put them together and have them edit each other's stuff, especially if they get graded on how well they peer review. Uh, they, they will peer review really well. And yes, they do earn grades for the class. This, is, this class has got... University of California A to G credit for English, and, uh, and so that it's, it's, it gets credit, and our university is given credit. So yes, this is a class for credit. Let's see. There is no one way to write it, and the teacher doesn't hold the key. That's one thing that I think is really important. There's so many ways to write things, and the teacher doesn't always have the key. That's what you have to say repeatedly to students, that it's really important to know. I mean, there is no one perfect lead for a story. There are many perfect leads, or many good leads. Um, and just take a look at, um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer university. It's based on peer review. Um, also, a lot of these classes um, in Coursera and Udacity a lot of peer review. So There's a question see. about plagiarism. How frequently is it a problem? Um, actually, it's, I never have it. It's never a problem for me. And the reason it's never a problem is that the penalty is really harsh. You're dropped from the class. So nobody really wants to take a risk. And also, I explain to them over and over again that the reason people plagiarize is because A, they haven't done the research, B, they feel bad that their writing isn't good enough. And I explained, you know, everybody, everybody's work can be just as good as another person's, just have to revise it. And so I have, I, I don't think I've ever dropped a kid for the last 10 years. They're all very, very good. They're all careful. And the other thing I tell them, you know, if you plagiarize in your English class or another class and you turn a single paper into the teacher, you might be able to get away with it. But if you plagiarize in a journalism class where thousands of people are reading your story, somebody is going to come up with the idea that, oh, yeah, I read that in the Wall Street Journal, for example. Oh, maybe you didn't write it. Has the, so has the New Yorker been calling you for it. advice? 
<laughs> they should be. Right. I know. That's a pretty sad story. I think it was, I feel sorry for him. I think he probably made an honest mistake. He's such a talented guy. I don't know how he managed to plagiarize two paragraphs of the New Yorker. But both the New Yorker and the New York Times have anyway. really struggled with this. Yes, yes, that's true. Well, um, you know, and I, I don't understand how he could have done it. He's, he's a genius, the guy. Just hopefully he learned his lesson. Uh, I tell kids, you know, better to quote somebody. Just say, according to the New York Times, according to the New Yorker magazine, blank, 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 and then you give credit. I said, you know, that way, not only do you give get give credit to somebody, but it looks like your article is well researched. So uh, I don't know how that ever happened to him, but it looks like he's been reinstated, at least partially reinstated. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I did. I missed some of the other questions. They're going by so quickly. I don't think you've missed any. There have just been some people making comments. Oh, here's one. Go ahead. Comments. And what used to be considered cheating is now considered collaboration. You know, that is absolutely true. In the past, you could kids could not collaborate on their homework. That was called cheating. And I mean, my idea is let them learn it, okay? I don't really have care how you get there. As long as you learn it, that's my key. And uh, so I, I encourage collaboration. The educational studies show that kids learn 80% of what they learn outside of school. So why is that? I mean, the reason is because they talk to each other, they collaborate, they learn from each other. So why not bring the outside of school into school? Let them collaborate in school. Let them work together in school. You saw the quality of the publications that they produce. This is all collaboration. And uh, and then they can do it themselves because I, I have offshoots all over the place of kids starting magazines and colleges everywhere and other magazines in uh, at Palo Alto High School. Once they learn how to do it, boy, they want to do it everywhere. Um, here's another Mr. I actually, I actually need to shift over to another room to help them get started. I'm going to let Peggy close up here for you. But I want to thank you and Cable again personally. I really appreciate your being here. Please, uh, you've got about five more minutes if you want to answer any more questions. Really appreciate your being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Oh, there was a question on how many go into journalism careers. I have hundreds of kids that do go into journalism, but most of the kids go into other careers. So I can, I can pretty much point to people on almost every major publication in the United States that have one of my students. But that's just, that's, that's just a small number compared to the rest of them. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for coming. And thank you especially to Cable. And I'm really, really happy uh, that everybody was here. It's very exciting for me to see people from all over the world. It's, it's really amazing. What a great opportunity.
bye bye everybody.